Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Luke chapter 15. Um, we uh, heard the beginning, kind of the beginning of the story. If you were with us this morning, uh, we we talked about two kind of groups of people that were surrounding Jesus uh, in chapter one or chapter 15, verse one. Go there with me. It says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, this is something I didn't touch on this morning that I should have. Their greatest complaint about Jesus is the thing that I praise him the most for. What do they say? They say, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that welcomes sinners? Amen. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that says, I don't care where you are, what you've done, how bad it was, you can come to me and I can take care of all of it. That is the God that we serve. Now, tonight I want us to take some time and talk about the older brother. Because as Jesus is talking to this group of people, as he begins to talk to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the part of this story of the older brother is really what is going to be directed at them. Now, a little bit about myself. We we kind of have this, I have this ongoing joke with one of our members at Kingston. He comes from a very prestigious church family. Uh, you know, the joke is that he has always had the best pedigree of anybody at the Kingston Church of Christ. And then I showed up. And I can give him a run for his money. I am, I am born and bred cradle row Christian, you know, uh, I've, I've been in church my whole life, uh, went to a Christian college, my granddaddy is a preacher, all my granddaddies and great granddaddies are elders in the churches, song leaders, I mean, I, I come from, I am, I was going to be a Christian whether I wanted to be a Christian or not, you know, it was one of those things, and as he's sitting here talking to these Pharisees, that's who these Pharisees are. They're these people that have been religious their whole life. That's all they've ever known. All they know is church. All they know is synagogue. All they know is the old law. They know what Moses had said. They had commentaries on what Moses had said. They had a commentary on the commentary of what Moses said. They were all about the traditions. They were all about the procedures. They were all about making sure we get everything right. And doing it a certain way, they were all about, hey, I'm always here. I'm always on time. Every time the doors are open, I'm walking in them. And if we're not careful, we those of us that kind of have that same background that I do, we can become very pharisaical very quickly. Hey, I've always been here. I know the secret handshake. 
I know the code words. Imagine being a visitor for the first time in the church and, and we're getting ready for communion and like, we're fixing to take communion. This represents the body and blood of Jesus. That's, that's kind of strange language for someone who doesn't have any idea what's going on. It's like, what have I just walked into here, you know? But for us that have always been here, we don't think anything of it, you know? The, the, the prayer phrase that we hear, I used to think this was one word. God, guard, and direct us. Give us wisdom, faith, courage, and strength. How many of you know what I just said? Some of you do. God, guard, and direct us. Give us wisdom, faith, courage, and strength. Because you understand the language. You've always been here. But when we've always been here, sometimes it becomes more of a routine and less of a relationship. It becomes about doing things right instead of doing things out of righteousness. And so Jesus is talking to this group, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, and maybe for us that have always been here, maybe he's talking to us as well if we're not careful. Let's pick up in our story in verse 28. In verse 28, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a small goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your money and property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's go to God in prayer before we go any further. God, be with us as we begin to unpack this passage tonight. Open our hearts. Open our spirit. Allow us to allow your spirit to dwell in us and convict us, God. May those convictions lead to change in our life. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about some of the characteristics of the pouting prodigal, if you will. The pouting son here. The first thing that we see, the the first way you might know if you are a uh, one of these guys that kind of falls into um, a pouting son in the church is, is you have... A angry spirit of grumbling. An angry spirit of grumbling. Go back to verse 28. The older brother became, what's that word? Became angry. He became angry and he refused to go in. This is what he said. I have never left home, dad. I've never done anything to disappoint you. I have obeyed everything you've ever done. And he's going off on these things. And you can hear the frustration even just coming from the words. You can see him just standing there with his arms crossed, just giving his dad up the road. And he's aggravated because this son of yours has come home who I just wish wasn't even born at this point. And he comes in and it's just like... Kumbaya, everything's great and wonderful and happy and we're having a party. And he just goes on and on and on and on. And if we're not careful as, 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 as church members, 
we can kind of get riled up when new people start showing up. Let me ask you something. Do you want to see the Ninth Avenue Church grow? Raise your hand if you want to see these pews full every Sunday. Do you want to know what the most difficult part of church growth is? Change. Change. How many of you pretty well sit in the same pew every Sunday? But most of you, I, 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 there was one Sunday that I, I had everybody in Kings and I go, okay, everybody stand up. I said, everybody switch sides. And it was really weird looking out in the auditorium because I couldn't tell who was there that morning. And some people were just like, we had a whole section over back in here of our auditorium. They just crossed their arms. They wouldn't move. They're like, we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. When you grow as a church, you're going to walk in the church building one Sunday. And guess what? Somebody new is going to be sitting in your seat. What are you going to do? When we took the job in McMenvar, our first job together, we sat down in this seat. We had a church member walk up to us and go, that's our seat. You can sit there today, but next week we want it back. And they were serious, y'all. They had this attitude of, I'm always here. That what? Belongs to me. Sometimes these, these pouting prodigals can be recognized by this phrase. We've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. That's a very challenging thing in a church because traditions are not a bad thing a lot of times, but sometimes traditions can be elevated above doctrine. And when you have change that begins to happen, you have people that don't understand your traditions and how important they are to you. You begin to grumble and you begin to complain. And those type of people cause all kinds of problems for church growth. You show me a church that can, as a church, as a whole, that can kind of push complaining to the side, and an eldership that can ignore unnecessary complaining, and I will show you a church that will grow. Because they don't have this spirit of grumbling. They're not afraid of change. They're not going to get worked up when different things begin to happen. But when different things begin to happen and new things start to happen, and you've got a group of people that are grumbling and complaining, and that becomes the focal point, you're never going to grow. You're just going to keep doing the same thing that you're doing and that you've always done until there's no one left. So one of the first characteristics is an angry spirit of grumbling. The next thing that we see is an inflated sense of goodness. I hope you can read those. An inflated sense of goodness. Let's go back to the text and look at verse 29 and look at the pronouns here, okay? All these years, I've never or I've been slaving for you. I never disappointed you. You never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What's this brother's focal point? Who's he worried about? Himself. Now, do you think that he was as good as he said? Do you think that he was as perfect of a child to his father as he said? Look what he said. All these years... I've been slaving for you. Look at all this work that I've done, Dad. Look at everything that I've accomplished. When we get to be that 
prodigal in the pew, that Pharisee in the pew, we begin, if we're not careful, to compare ourselves to other people. It makes us feel good when I can walk down the aisle and go, my sins aren't as bad as that guy's, my sins not as bad as that lady's. Their sins are so public. Everybody knows how awful of a person they are, but not me. Mm -mm. I'm not that type of person. The type of sins that Pharisees usually deal with are secret sins. Sins of jealousy, sins of greed, sins of pride and resentment. And those things are a little bit easier to hide, aren't they? They're not as out there. They're not as public and in front. And they're not as noticeable at first. But eventually their inflated self of goodness comes out. And then the last thing that we see from this text is a faulty understanding of grace. A faulty understanding of grace. The older brother was insulted because he really thought he deserved better than the younger brother. He really thought that he deserved the fatted calf or at least a billy goat. He was offended and he thought his brother deserved less. After all, he had always been the one that showed up. He had always been the one that came to work while his brother was off wild in, in life of wild living. Older brother Christians are big on keeping rules. They are the church members who have been working and doing a lot of the work for years upon years. And they think that it has to be the way that they want it done. But you know, Matthew 20 is a very interesting parable that deals with that mindset, a faulty understanding of grace. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a story about the grace nature of God. And there's this master that goes out and he says, there's all this work that needs to be done in my field. And he hires this group of workers and he says, go out there and at the end of the day, I'm going to pay you this. And then a little bit later in the day, he brings another group in and sends them out, pays them the same thing a little bit later. And then right before quitting time, he brings in another group and he pays them the same way. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20 if you have your Bibles open there. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 9. Matthew 20 and verse 9. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came... Who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you. Friend, didn't you agree to work for one Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. That's a challenging passage for us. Because I understand the mindset of the guys who had been there all day. I understand the guys that had, 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 had never left and had always worked as hard as this master had wanted them to. And then you get this guy that shows up for an hour and really doesn't do anything. But what does God say about his grace? It's my grace to give, not yours. 
It doesn't matter what you want. It's about how generous I am as a God. So we need to have a great understanding of grace. So let's move on to some things that are a little more positive here. Because I think this is the core of the message. God's message to the big brother. Some positive things. This is what he says to the big brothers of the church. He says, I treasure our relationship more than your work. I treasure our relationships more than your work. This brother goes, hey, look, dad, I've always been here. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. This brother of mine hadn't done any of it. But what does the son, what does the dad say? Does the dad ever thank him for all the work that he's done? Not one time. This is what he says. You've always been with me. You've always been with me. What's he telling this son of his? I'm just grateful to have you. I'm just grateful to have this relationship. You know, this is a, a kind of a mirror image of Mary and Martha, isn't it? Jesus is at, is at their house and Martha's in there. She's just slaving away in the kitchen. And, and Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up everything that's going on. And Martha comes in the room and you can just hear kind of storming in there. Jesus, tell my sister to get in the kitchen. Now, how do you think that... Don't you know Jesus probably kind of laughed at her a little bit? Like, do you understand who you're talking to now? Probably no one else in Scripture that kind of knew Jesus talked to him like this, except maybe his mom. You know, maybe his mom could get away with it. What is his response to Martha? Hey, Mary gets it. There's going to be time to work. Mary gets the relationship part of all of this. And I want you to understand tonight above anything else, God wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to want a relationship with him. We can come and do all the work and never have a relationship. But to God, it starts with that intimacy. The next thing he says is, you have all my resources. You have all my resources. The father says, all that I have is yours. If you wanted a billy goat feast, all you had to do was say, hey, I want to have a party. You'd never ask. He says, you're the heir to everything that I own. This is all yours. And God says the same thing. Tonight, he says, there is so much that I have to offer you. If you want to make this relationship about rules with God and and, and about processes and about procedures, you're missing out on so much. You're missing out on the Spirit of God and the things that He brings into your life. You're missing out on the true mercy and grace of God. You're missing out on the joy that comes from God. God has so many resources at your disposal. And if we make it just about doing things and we miss the relationship, then we miss The resources. You see, it's the resources that give us the ability to accomplish great things in the kingdom of God. My effort by itself is very empty. My effort by itself is very empty. But when you put my effort and you put the Holy Spirit together, there is nothing that can stop us. Twelve men. Twelve men. Changed the world. One of them was a zealot or a terrorist who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. One of them was a tax collector who worked for the Roman Empire. A handful of them were fishermen who were just kind of, I mean, they just, you know, common laborers. There was nothing special about them. God put the Holy Spirit in them and they turned the world 
upside down. If you have a relationship with God, if the Ninth Avenue focuses on the relationship and the resources that God has to offer, there is no stopping this church. But you have to get your priorities where they belong. And here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. It's my party. So come join me. How many of you like a good party? How many of you like a good party? How many of you ever been to a party that you're like, that didn't feel like a party? I mean, just because there's cake doesn't mean it's a party. It just means it's a gathering with cake, right? Which is better than no cake at all. Don't get me wrong. But have you ever just left a party and you're like, man, that excites. So here's why the elder son, I can just see him walking up to the house and he hears this party going on and he sends one of the servants goes, hey, go find out what's going on. I didn't know we had anything scheduled tonight. And he comes back and goes, hey, guess what? Your brother's home and he won't even come in the house. And I've always struggled with the, 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 the kind of the last phrase here of you have to come to this party and celebrate. You have to. Because we're having this party for your brother. But when you really look at what he's saying, I don't believe he's saying we're having this party for your brother. I think dad's saying, this is my party. This isn't about your brother. This is my celebration. And I want you there. I want you. It's not about your brother. It's about me. And God's been, Jesus has been talking about all these celebrations through Luke chapter 15. And he's saying there's this celebration when a sinner comes home and he repents in the the presence of God. He says that twice. And then here you've got this one person comes back home and there's a party. And this is what God's wanting you to know. If you focus on the relationship and you focus on the resources, then you're going to get to be part of his party, part of his celebration, part of the, the looking around and going, man, this, this has been a great day. What's your name? I completely forgot. Got glasses on your head. One right, no, right here, right here. Yeah. You brother, David. Okay. Sorry. You can't even remember your own name, man. Listen, I, of course, I'm sure from here, this looks about like I'm pointing at everybody in that back section. Okay, David came up to me this morning, or tonight, he was talking to me about how great of a morning it had been at his house. You know what he did? He got to party with Jesus today. He got to party with Jesus today. He got to celebrate with the king today. And it didn't just affect him in the church building. It affected him at home. And when we have that relationship and when we are plugged into those resources, our life is a celebration with Jesus every day, everywhere we go. And it should be something that is so noticeable. It should be something that people look at us and they go, what in the world is wrong with you? Because you act so different than everybody else. When the world's crumbling around us and you're going, Whoa, it's a great day to be here. And they're like, something ain't right with you. You're right. There's a lot not right with me. But there's something really right about Jesus. And when I have that relationship and his resources, my life is a celebration. So I ask you this question tonight. Do you struggle with being a Pharisee in the pew? Do you struggle with the older brother syndrome? I get it. I can see the struggle and the challenge. It's easy. It's easy to look around when other people aren't working. 
When other people may not be carrying the load that you think they're able to carry and you go, well, they're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know that struggle. Even as a preacher, I struggle with that. I'm not perfect. I understand the older brother in this story. But I have grown to understand the importance of a relationship with the father. Because without that relationship, I'm just a grumpy young guy that's got to grow up into a grumpy old man. And how many of you enjoy being around a grumpy old man? None of us. Not even grumpy old men enjoy being around themselves. I want to be someone who celebrates what Jesus celebrates. I want to make heaven happy. Do you? I hope so. Let's close with a word of prayer. I thank you, God, so, so much for today. I thank you for this amazing passage. This passage that reveals so much to us and challenges us, God. It, 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 it cuts us to our core if we really open up our heart to it. And I pray that something from this passage today has touched someone in this room and has changed them. And if that's the case, God, we celebrate. We thank you for the sister who responded this morning and rededicated her life to you and practiced that, that idea of repentance and confession, God. And God, if there's more tonight, prick our hearts. Don't let us leave with anything undone. Thank you, God, for all that you give us and the way you bless us and the amazing Father that you are. We thank you for your son's sacrifice, that hope, that assurance of salvation that comes from his death on the cross. May we live our life in view of that and as our motivation every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.